This is this one's going straight out. We're going right to the right to the masses with this. Yeah, no, like if so, if you sniff, no careful editing. That, no, and, and you know, there's a reason for that. So we 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 were going to have a week off because uh, you know a lot was going on, right? There were a lot of things to do, and then we had a, a guest this week, and then there were some like technicalities. It's gonna, it's all gonna happen. It's all gonna work out in the end, right? And so it was best for everybody involved, truly everybody involved, for us to have that guest next week. Exactly. Uh, which meant not recording this week until right now. Right. Leaving not the usual capacious, <laughs> leisurely editing, which you don't use much anyway because our guests are great and our conversations are great. And so it's yeah, not like you have to spend three days no. editing painstakingly, you know, morning to, to, to night. It's more than I would like. <laughs> uh, but, but but that's and really it's not, in it's your not, it's not it's not because anybody's bad it's just to make it sound sound good usually to you your standards be, right which right. are very high you have the highest standards yeah I think, and therefore i think if people listen to the show they'll say yeah it's average and that's only because of, of your very high standards that eh, you have maybe so but i, I was just going to say though that um so, so we i was thinking you know i texted you this morning i said we really should record today yeah because otherwise it would be two weeks off i think you know people are scrambling you know, they're, they're calling me, they're emailing, they're saying, where's the episode? Mm. You know, um, yeah. I'm getting flyers in my mailbox. You can't disappoint the people like that. Uh, there's a, um, there's a, uh, uh, what do they call that? The, the, what, is, what is that online petition thing? Change something? Okay. Yeah, there's one of those going. Great. I, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen the URL, but I understand. Well, is this like change something, I understand change that there is. org or something like that? Yeah, so... Um, so I, th- I just thought we'd get together, hang out here in the in the mezzanine of Oral Argument World Headquarters. Mezzanine level. No fire today. Have some chit-chat. A little warm. A little warm for a fire. Um, so I don't normally... Overlooking uh, overlooking the snack bar down there. Don't normally buzz market. Oh. You've got some things you... Let me just say, before I hit record, I said, Joe, anything in particular you want to talk about today? I, I got one thing, maybe. Maybe. And, and, and you said, not that I want to talk about before we hit record. And, and I was like, Whoa. Joe's well, got something. Joe's got something. I don't want to waste the podcast gold here, dude. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's hit, let's hit the podcast brass. Yeah. <laughs> so, more more like. Um, definitely. We're going to grab the iron ring. <laughs> definitely. All right. So I don't normally buzz market, but, you know, there's this whole streaming music that's kind of like a thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> So I finally is this going to be this is going to be the segment of the show. Joe discovers something that has been awesome and people have known about for several years for now. like decades. Yeah, <laughs> there's this thing called the Spotify. Oh my god, and it's amazing. <laughs> and there, <laughs> there's some stuff I hadn't heard in years. Is this the thing? By the way, is this what you said you wanted to wait to talk about? <laughs> it's one of them. Okay, okay, it's one of them. It's I want to make, sure, that, I want to make sure this wasn't it. Um, but it's really great. <laughs> No, for real. I mean, it's I, it's kind yes. of amazing. I think I, I told you that a long time ago. I know you did, and I, and it takes me a little while. It's just my got a I've got a very thick skull. Yeah, and I'm not very smart, and so <laughs> things take a while. But much like water can wear down a stone, you are not. It's not that. It's you do. I, I will say you do have a certain stubbornness of habit. Mm. You know, you are. Um, you you are. It's not that you don't embrace new things. It's really weird. I think, you know, this, again, is another iteration, uh, another episode of trying to figure out who is Joe really. That's what this podcast is about. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and it's not that you... Kind of fool's It's errand. not that you have a distaste for new things. That's quite true. I can't true. quite I don't. figure out what... But, but then you are sometimes reluctant to... Um, I don't know. You, you, you know, it's like, yeah, I hear about the Spotify. Maybe I'll give, a, give it a go, but it's, you know... A few years later, you, you know my to do list is pretty long. Yeah, that maybe that's what it is. You're just so so busy and, and overwhelmed. So, you know, you you put you put it you put it in the you put it in the crock pot. Yeah, and like the toughest, uh, you know, meat shank. Eventually, it becomes chewable. Yeah. So you got to let it in there and just stew for a while. So we have a family plan for Spotify and for Apple Music. Mm. Uh, one of my kids prefers. Apple Music and is really into music. Mm. Or they're both really into music, but in different ways. Right. And and it's relatively cheap. I feel Apple Music, I, I think, is better for the artists than Spotify. Spotify oh. is going public. Mm, did not know that. Um, so that's another. Th- those two things aren't necessarily related. So I, I don't know. I'm, I, I, I pass no judgment. I tend to use Spotify myself. It's great, isn't it? 
I am finding it to be great, and I'm not using very many features of it yet because you know you don't want to do everything at once. <laughs> no, you don't. Um, don't be hasty, Joe. No, <laughs> and I don't want to give myself the wind burn, you know, <laughs> from moving too fast. Yeah. So that's one thing. That's awesome. Um, another thing. Yeah, I thought I was going to talk. So, so you know, I, I was going to. I was thought. I was thinking about sharing my my playlist from the Big Years Festival because you know one thing that you can do if you if you hear new music, mm-hmm. right? Like you go to a festival of all kinds of new music, you can just, you can remember it by making a little playlist of, you know, one thing, you know, one song from each thing that I heard or one, one movement from whatever. And it's great. I love it. And that's cool. And I tend to make playlists as a, um, that represent parts of my life. And these can be, and these are shareable, right? Yeah. You can share them. Wow. It's, it's, it's great. It's amazing. There's this whole, like... It's mixtapes for the, for the 21st century. There's this whole social media thing. It's just like... It's well... In, it's incredible. It turns out there's a downside. <laughs> right. But, you um, know, I guess when Russian trolls start sharing their playlists and, mm. and um, you know, uh, like, uh, like the entertainment and Infinite Jest, then we have to worry. But until then, yeah. playlist sharing is probably pretty safe. You don't safe. want Spotify to just become crawling with Russo bots <laughs> that are recommending all sorts of, uh, you know... Ukrainian polkas or whatever. Right. Not that there's anything wrong with Ukrainian buttons or they're fine. But uh, you know I love I mean? the idea that there could be a piece of music or or a movie which uh, which which somehow exploits like a Stack Overflow bug in the brain. <laughs> <laughs> that in my mind, that's kind of what the entertainment was about. But mm. uh, um, yeah, okay. So you 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 wanted to go on. You did not want to belabor this. I take it right. And there's a there's another thing I want to buzz market, which is um, I was a big fan of Lost in Space as a kid. The original sort of 1960s TV program. Yeah, it bugged me. I only saw it on. Did you see it? You're a little bit older than I am. Not much, but did you did you see it when only when it was in reruns and syndication? Yeah, because or did I think it, it was originally broadcast in the 60s, so I would have seen it in syndication in the 70s. Yeah, late 70s. For and me. I saw you know the the original uh, Star Trek that way and. Um, all kinds of see for me it was like bound up with you know there's Gilligan's Island, there's Flipper, there's other stuff, there's Lost in Space. It's it's in that set of programs that would come on after school and I would sit there and right. I would realize even as a young kid would realize I'm wasting my life. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it was one of those programs. It was there was some good Batman stuff. Oh there, yeah. There was some good uh I never got into the flipper, I, I have to say. Yeah, um, but it's a dolphin, it swims around. There was this great show called Family Affair with this really portly butler named Mr. French. Do you remember this? No, no. So um that was great. Anyway. I, I remember Family Ties. Mm, Alex P. Keaton. Mm-hmm. So, here's the thing. The the Lost in Space reboot. Yeah, I've, I heard something about this. I haven't seen the details. I've seen a bit of it, and it's it's pretty great. And Parker Posey, uh, who plays... The I'm sorry? Hmm? I'm sorry, who? <laughs> Her name is Parker Posey. Really? I, and she plays... Uh, what else doctor- has she been in? I don't, I've never... I... Gosh, well, lots of uh, independent films from back in the day. Uh, I'll, I will remember something more recent, but you'll see, you'll recognize her instantly. Okay, so you, I'm bad with names. Soon you see her, but yeah. but she plays the Doctor Smith character. Okay, uh, and wow, is this character straight out of the pit of hell? I mean, <laughs> a very evil person, right? Which is fascinating. What, I think that's what bugged me as a kid. Like he creeped me out as a kid. And, I, and I didn't like the, the idea that they, you know, it, it's one thing to have a bad guy that you're like battling, but this bad guy who's like part of the crew and and is not like purely bad, but like is kind of a, well sabotage. He was in it for himself. You never can, you know, unpredictable. I didn't, it, as a kid, it bothered me. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, uh, interesting to see what, how, what they're doing differently, what they're doing that's similar. And anywho, so that's been a little fun to watch a little bit of that. And, okay. Um, and I'm, then, I'm loving these reports. You know, I'm listener like, Joel, did you get? Did you see the email we got from listener Joel about this PPP poll? I, I saw that we got it. Yes, and I think did I click on that when it first came so in? So this is a March 27, okay, 2018 uh, public policy polling poll. Didn't we talk? Uh, about and this? he directs us to page four of this poll. And I'm so I'm going to page four. I know we didn't talk about it on the show, but I feel like you and I talked about it. But yes, so I just want to read to you one of the entries in the miscellany category at the bottom of page four on this late March 2018 PPP poll report. Okay, that he was kind enough to send us a link to. Okay, just gonna just gonna read the item. Okay, you've not read it yet. I did when it first came in. I've forgotten though. Okay, sorry. Uh, And finally. 34% of voters think that a hot dog is a sandwich. Oh, right. 
to fifty-one percent who say it is not. Right. Wait, you gotta let me read the whole thing. Yeah. When we polled on this in twenty sixteen, only twenty-nine percent thought a hot dog was a sandwich. That's a fifty percent increase, by the way. Excuse me, five percent increase in thinking it's a sandwich. Um so the country really is headed in the wrong direction. It, in 2016, only 29% thought that a hot dog was a sandwich, and 60% said it was not. So much like our polling on gay marriage, marijuana legalization, and whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie, which it obviously is, the public may, not be, uh, the public may be evolving on this important issue, but we will have to keep tracking it over time to see if the trend continues. Now, the only thing better about the fact that they polled on this mm-hmm. is that they had already polled on it in 2016. <laughs> That's amazing that there are two poll results on whether a hot dog is a sandwich. This is the great thing about being a polling firm. You Problematizing can, for all of the country th- th- this very issue. You can ask about whatever you want. Yeah. And I bet a bunch of people hadn't really given it any thought. Right. And now they've been asked, and so they've been introduced to the vexing, interesting, <laughs> hilarious question, is a hot dog a sandwich? Well, this is what I was going to say. My, my reaction to that, I do recall now when I first got it, that... Um, Super so thank you, Listener Joel. Yes, obviously. Thank you. And, uh, that my hypothesis is that once some, you know, when you're asked the first time something that you think is ridiculous, you may just, you know, you, you come out with the obvious, right? But once something is like enters the public consciousness as an issue, people are more likely to be divided over it. Oh, this mm. is a thing about which people can have different views. Right. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Oh, I've heard people talk about that. Oh, let me think what I, you know, let me see what I think. And then, of course, it's going to be random. Right. And the same thing with, uh, what was the other, what, it was Die Hard, what was the uh, third one? Oh, uh, marijuana legalization, oh, right. gay marriage, is Die Hard a Christmas movie, should you lower right. your, should you uh, lower your seat in the airplane, um, all kinds of, when should you buy the knee defender? Talking about the 70s and 80s, when I was a kid, like marijuana legalization was like the most far out there, hippie, not even lefty, like just like right, way totally out there. French. Yeah, like uh, way like this right. is. Like, it's and, the kind of thing you think was ne- is never going to happen. It's so far from happening that like you know uh, that 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 um, uh, that that somehow like joining forces with these people would drag whatever cause you were joining with down. Right. I mean, right. It, it, they, it seemed like totally French. Yeah, and I mean, Cheech and Chong. I think that says it all, right? <laughs> the comedy duo, uh, like right. of stoner movies, right? But but now on the very same day that Ringwraith Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House, announces he's leaving, right? Uh, John Boehner right. sends a tweet about joining the board of some marijuana firm. Yeah, I saw that. I was going like, to mention that as well. You know, meaning it, and he's from Ohio. It's super mainstream. I think you know. It, again, it's, it's very it, interesting. It's. It's knowing people who are affected by it, you know, that obviously helps you to form opinions uh, right. that may be different than the opinions that you held no, I think there originally. Is a but, but also, it's just the framing of, like, this is an issue about which you can have an opinion. It's that licensing. I think a lot of people, people need to be licensed. Like, different people think different things about it. There are different things to be thought about it. There's more than one perspective. Right. And, and you can explore those perspectives. I think there is a very... A critically important racial justice issue lurking in how many people uh, have uh, criminal records m- might be in jail right now uh, because of involvement with wa- marijuana under circumstances that either already or, or very quickly will uh, be uh, not unlawful under state law. Hmm. And that really needs to get addressed mm-hmm. um, because it's just not uh, it's not equitable. Right. I don't. I don't know whether it's. I'm sure there are arguments for precisely why it's quote right, uh, in in terms of law and law enforcement discretion from the time involved as as to at least some of those people. Yeah. But it's not equitable. It's not in a. It's not fair in a in an important socially meaningful sense. And so we need to figure out what the right answer is and do something about it. Um, as part of the marijuana legalization eventuality, which does seem to be coming. Uh, we need to address that issue, I think. I agree. I mean, w- just wanted to put that out there. Okay. <laughs> All right. Since it came up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think I think you're right. I mean, so between Spotify, Lost in Space, and hot dogs and sandwiches, I'm I've, I'm ready to retire for the night. I don't. I've, that's about what <laughs> you're I've tapped got. out. That's yeah, all that you had. I'm tapped out, man. 
Huh. You know, we also got this uh, email from listener Asher, which again it has content in it that we're going to hold for a future discussion. But about. he felt you had subtweeted him. But I did not. That, that's not who Asher. That I was not referring to you. So because I had said this was about uh, when we were. T- I was saying that like it made sense that you had this interest in kind of the conversational, the intertemporal conversational aspect of right. precedent, right? And we were talking about like how do people interpret stuff? But we and, had been me- we had mentioned some comments from him, and so but so you're sorry that you said something that he felt bad about. Of course, yeah, because yeah, well, because because I, I what I said is this: we're just talking, like, kind of like we are now, Joe. Right, we're just talking, and I just I, and I'm just like I'm just spinning out an idea about my friend Joe and how he thinks about things. And I said, you know, cool your jets, everybody. Don't don't email right. in and say you've got a totally ridiculous Here, theory. Here's of, what's of getting lost in the shuffle: is okay. a nice crisp apology, oh. <laughs> which you have the opportunity to give. <laughs> that, well, but that would be appropriate if I were actually talking about Asher. No, but you. I'm saying you. But but he he a listener had a particular experience, and of course that's not what you wanted. So you're sorry about that, that he had that experience, given that it's all a misunderstanding. Right. But so, so I am sorry. Ed, it's regrettable. But, but yeah, but, but, I, but, you know, I really hate saying I'm sorry if you're offended. Like, that's you know, not, that kind of thing. That's not what I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. I only want to apologize for stuff that I re- actually regret. And, um, but I guess I do regret saying, Asher, this doesn't refer to you, which would have been weird though, right? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it would have been. But we had been talking about comments we'd received from him. That's, yeah, I guess that's because right. Because his comments are, are uh, always so thoroughly considered. Right. Um, and therefore, we benefit from thinking about them, even when we disagree with them, which we sometimes do, well, sometimes don't. It, it's, uh, I think it's apropos that you bring this up, because I, you know, what I really wanted to talk about this week is this great new paper that I got to read that you wrote. The what? The, this great new paper that you wrote that I got to read this week. Oh, but that's not public. I know. That's the problem. I can't link to it. So we're not going to talk about it until I can link to it. But mm-hmm. it is another, you know, we've talked about um, uh, an earlier iteration, I think, on the show before. This is this. Um, an earlier project. This There's co-citation stuff. And, yeah, where you yeah. were. Where, where, and that's where this, this conversation we're talking about um, uh, that Asher felt mildly. Is it sub-podcasted? It's not really sub-tweeted, right? Um, <laughs> comes from right because i was you have an interest in the ways that judges talk to each other through time right and yes. and, and and that like i said the conversational aspect of of precedent and so you've gotten into this empirical study of the of the way that they cite one another which in many ways you think would like rub I, don't, I, I would have thought ex ante maybe it would rub me the wrong way right because I, i'm enough of a realist where i think you know a lot of times citations kind of just dress up um, uh, pre-held views. But one of the great things about your your work here, and I can't wait for people to see it and to see these graphs and to see how all this works, is you're able to kind of map out the law in a really interesting way that that sheds new light on on which cases other judges think are important and what the canon in a particular area is. Mm. We were talking like, you know, look, because your paper is about, can I go ahead and say what it's about? Sure. Uh you take as kind of a test, a test case, um, a, t- a test. Well, case is the wrong word because you know a, case, a, working a, a test example. subject. A test subject yeah. is Supreme Court opinions interpreting the Warsaw Convention, which is the convention which um, uh, the international convention which kind of uh, lays down the rules for compensations from uh, from international air travel. Yeah, li- uh, liabilities for loss during international air travel. Yeah, physical injury or lost property or. Lost property maybe being the most common kind of yeah. thing. You look at the back of your... And it's been uh, it's been overtaken by a new agreement called the Montreal uh, mm-hmm. Convention Pro- or the Montreal Protocols. Protocols, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, it's this nice discrete group of eight Supreme Court cases adjudicating Warsaw Convention questions. Right. Uh, and so as a test model for figuring out if something will work and how it works... Taking a nice discrete thing with edges that everyone can agree on that th- that this stuff is inside those edges mm-hmm. um, is that's handy I right. think. Uh, and and so, yeah, from this you build a web of citations. You know which which cases do these cite? Which cases cite them? And you kind of put all this together in a table, and then you make a a, a nice graph which shows kind of the web of law which emerges from these Warsaw Convention cases. I mean, it's I'm not describing it exactly right. You can and it's a. a a term for people who are interested in this uh, stuff. Um, there's citation uh, mapping, and then there's also co-citation, right. which is when are two things cited together as a pair? 
And it turns out, and this is stuff that other folks developed a long time ago, but it hadn't been applied to case law, oddly enough, um, at least as far as I could find. Uh, this is an important way of, di- of, of discovering from the bottom up uh, the, the, um, a, a topic in the literature. Mm-hmm. It's a way to let a topic emerge over time, and in part because these co-citation patterns change over time. Uh, they grow and develop and, and fall away or get bigger or whatever, uh, because it's always refreshed by what the newest gr- group of authors think about what's come before. So it, to the degree that you're having this dialogical relationship with prior things, right, you're pulling them up into the present. And then, of course, what you do will someday be pulled up into the next present by somebody else. So it is kind of fun. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. And the basic idea is that, you know, if you think about a case uh, and it cites uh, two cases, right? Maybe those cases aren't related, but maybe they have some, you know, maybe there's a reason that both cases are cited in this new case. So I've got some, I don't know, some negligence case or something. and, And I cite two other cases. Um, it's not really the cases that I cite in my negligence decision are not random. I'm citing them to make my argument, right? right. So the fact and that so do you, they are related. They are related. They may be about different issues. There could be spurious, you know, it could be that, you know, just random, but, but if, if two cases are cited together often, that's a, you can raise a, you know, that raises a pretty strong inference that in, in fact, those two have some semantic relation. There's some meaning that ties right. those two cases together. Even if the authors of those original cases didn't, anticipate that meaning or think about that meaning or appreciate what the future might hold. Um, and even if five years from now, people no longer think of them as related, if today they do, yeah. right? So it's, it's, it's very organic and bottom up and uh, contingent. And, um, you know, it's true that you, it, there's this sort of basic kind of er question about are citations post hoc window dressing or are they something that actually helps make decisions, help right. judges make decisions? Um, and I, I mean, my, I think it's the latter, but, but I actually don't know how much it matters in the sense that uh, judicial craft, even for someone who thinks citations are, tend more toward the window dressing end of the continuum, yeah. right? even someone like that feels that they need to engage in a certain amount of it to comport with contemporary standards of good judging so even if good judging is is about the story you tell about the thing you decided maybe on additional grounds or or other grounds well okay that's the story we tell and this is all meaning making and lawyers have to make meaning to get the next case adjudicated uh properly and help the decision maker make a good decision so so it seems to me you actually don't need to know strictly speaking, which of those two situations, the sort of post hoc or actually useful in helping make a decision. I don't think you need to fully get to the ground. No, you don't. But I, you know, my experience, both as a clerk and as a lawyer and as a law professor, all three of those is, is that cases do have meaning and and they feel constraining when you're using them. Even if you can kind of zoom out and say, actually, there was another way, you know, there are ways to retell the story, you know, kind of the the critical uh, legal studies argument. You could, if you zoom out enough, you'll see what the what is causing the stasis and but but that's uh, they, but they do psychologically they feel um, constraining and and like you say regardless of their actual constraining effect they are being employed to make a certain argument they're being employed to assert a certain meaning and the fact that they are cited that two cases are cited together suggests that they are they're kind of part of that same meaning making effort and if they're always cited together or often cited together right. then those two cases bear some meaningful relationship right? and speaking of fun th- uh, cases that are fun to talk about together yes uh today is april 15th okay uh, which means it's 10 days from happy caroline products and eerie day oh because they were decided on the same day april 25th 1938 so it's 10 days from the 80th birthday of so those this, two cases that is very interesting and would have been much more appropriately re- uh, raised in on april 25th joe <laughs> We could have had a special show. <laughs> I'm not sure that we're going to record on that day. We could have. I, this is the one thing that we, you and I actually can control is okay, when, cut, when we record. <laughs> okay, so cut this stuff out. No, okay. you can't. You're not editing. No, no, so, you're just going to so go straight to... Listeners, yeah. please take the nearest large object Oh boy! And, and smack your head into it so that you forget what I just said. No, don't do that. No. 
That's that's a terrible idea. Okay. Did you hear this late this Judge John Hodgman um, episode where the um, it, it's a typical this spouse. Is about boxing? Yes. You know, I heard a few minutes of it and then decided I did not need to hear the rest. Oh, is that right? Yeah. It just made you. He, he well, I shouldn't spoil it, should I? No, some dis, but some some of the disputes every once in a while it happens very rarely. Actually, I listen to most of them yeah. from start to finish. But I listen to all of them start to finish. Every, good for you. Well, I'm glad you're a completist. <laughs> well, every once in a while, though, uh, he'll have a topic, and I'm like, eh, he'll have a dispute, and I just like, eh, nope. Yeah, but you got to help. You got you got to stay with them to find that crux. And the, so this one, the, the husband, uh, it was a, a husband wife relationship, and husband had kind of taken up boxing. He has small kids, um, and. Um, and 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 was in an actual fight. You know, it was joined a gym where there was some sparring and stuff, but then was actually in, a, in an actual bout fight. I don't know what they call it with amateur boxing. You know, they wear the headgear and everything. Yeah, yeah. But he described it. He said, he said, you know, when you get hit, like it's like a millisecond that you kind of just go out, but you come back. Mm. I'm like, oh boy, <laughs> that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound good. Yeah, that's the sound of um, getting dumber. I think. Yeah. Um, uh, or that. Yeah, it, it sounds like that. Um, and 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 so the he wants to fight a couple more times even though he had promised his wife that, 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 that it would only be this once and so the dispute was about whether to allow him some extra bouts okay and well so i'm not going to spoil how, you how don't it turns talk about out the outcome no i think For people, people listen to heard it, it yeah 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 that's a, that's part of the fund of it fun fun of it like yeah, fund see it's max fund drive you remember yeah. oh yeah. yeah uh so that's stuck in my head um Yes, so that part of the fun of it is like what kind of what crux is is Judge John Hodgman going to find? And he's very good at finding them. Yeah, well, yeah, a crux. Maybe there are multiple. What's the plural of crux? Crux? Cruxes? Cruxum? Cruxum? <laughs> Cruce? Crux? Cruces? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, crux? Cruci? Maybe we should. Maybe we should have a special. You know, once every ten episodes, we should decide a case, Joe. Sure. How would we get those disputes? I don't know. Now, are we going to decide them by reaching consensus? I was going to say, I have enough in my own family where I could <laughs> basically endless, endless <laughs> apply. But you can't be a judge in your own case. Why not? Because that's a, that's a very basic norm of Anglo-American jurisprudence. You that's, can't be the judge in your own case. In fact, it might even be global jurisprudence. Yeah, well, we, there's always a first. You have to uh, have a certain kind of dispassion to be able to fully and fairly consider what to do. So the other thing is bugging me on a, on a serious note. So are we going to talk about a different topic yeah. now? Yeah. Okay. Do you have another topic? No, that was it. These, um, these airstrikes in, on Syria. Mm. Really, um, uh, this is the second time that um, the Trump administration has um, sent missiles to um, attack targets in Syria yep. in response to what looks like a horrific chemical attack. Yes. And, you know, I... I've tried to read the news. I still cannot figure out. I've talked to some people who I think should know. I still can't figure out what the explanation is for why he would use chemical weapons in the first place. I, 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 it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, so maybe if listeners, if you if you can fill me in on this, like I, I just don't understand the international, like even setting the morality aside, like why like, the Assad regime, yeah, is why using why it's in his interest to to do that, um, but. Because it does seem like the one thing that could. But anyway, I don't know. Right. A lot, maybe it, it involves a lot of like specialized knowledge of kind of on the ground facts about that civil war that I don't that I don't know. Right. Uh, so the, in response to that, um, uh, Trump sends missiles um, to. Uh, I'm not. I'm not even sure we know which targets exactly yet. I've read the news, but I'm not sure. The problem, of course, is that this this attack was patently illegal <laughs> under domestic law and international law. Now they they assert some justification, but it seems really flimsy to me. So if you're not familiar with the issues here, so, you know, the, the constitution gives Congress the power to declare war and it makes the president, the commander in chief of the, of the armed forces. There's a statute, the war powers act, which I think conserves for Congress, the ability to pass on the uses of military force, recognizing that in those cases where the president otherwise has the power to act unilaterally, there's a certain period during which he or she can do so before going back to Congress and getting authorization. There are no um, authorizations which clearly would allow this from Congress. Uh, the, the only two candidates that one could possibly think of are the authorizations for use uh, of military force post 9-11 in Afghanistan and around the world related to the 9-11 attacks. Mm-hmm. You know, clearly has no application here. Right. The other is uh, the authorization for um, the Iraq invasion. Mm-hmm. And 
that had been interpreted maybe somewhat loosely to allow attacks on ISIS in Syria, since ISIS may have grown out of the Iraqi insurgents and insurgency and otherwise be related. So there's some like colorable justification for attacks on ISIS in Syria under that authorization. But Assad's got nothing to do with that. So there's no, there's clearly no authorization there. And as far as I know, the administration hasn't claimed it. The only the, the only domestic authorization for the use of military force that the administration has cited that I'm aware of is inherent Article Two power as mm-hmm. commander-in-chief. I did, I did see reference to that. And, and the argument is that the president has the inherent authority to protect vital national interests using military force, at least if it's like air power and if it has to do with enforcing uh, a ban against chemical weapons or... It, it seems quite ad hoc. Um, right. And one question I've asked is, if that's your theory, then it seems to me there's nothing to stop the president unilaterally from attacking Moscow. Domestically. We'll get to international in just a second, right? But so... so it, it, yeah, if the, if, this, if the power, if the scope of this power uh, is determined uh, by the president him or herself exclusively, right? Uh, which is what the claim is that you just made, right? Because Article 2 is about executive power. Right. Uh, and that power is vested in, uh, uh, in the President of the United States by Article 2. It's how it starts. And so if, if the notion is that the President can make a determination about the national security needs of the country... Uh, that would justify launching cruise missiles at some target outside the United States um, to vindicate those national security interests, um, then, yeah, I don't see why, in principle, um, hitting, uh, you know... And, and the exception, any, right. any city in Russia or in or in Finland or in England or in France or Spain, for that matter would be in principle any different as far as i'm aware the the what's what has been approved i think by the supreme court and and, and if you think about it, it just has to be right that the, the president does have article two power and it's we don't, we don't even have to call it article article two power the president controls the is the commander-in-chief of the military so of course the president can, right. can direct its use consistent with uh, the law and the constitution but if we are invaded right so in de- in true defense of the nation or to suppress insurrection um, when there's not time to go to, of course, the president can order yeah. military action. Well, look, that that the the two so the two things you just mentioned there, the fact that it's defensive, right, uh, and the fact that there is a true exigency that doesn't permit a, a timely and sober consideration by the Congress, right? Those two things together are awfully important in mm-hmm. figuring out what might be. Um, the scope of such a responsive capability, um, not least because it's not the sort of thing that would be open to abuse in the same way, right? Because it's, it's, it's present only in those circumstances. And we would all know that those are the circumstances. Like I, there wouldn't right. be any doubt that, that any one of us, were we unfortunate enough to be the president of the United States would, would deal, would try to deal with things in the same basic idea, which is how do we defend the country? We're, <laughs> we're experiencing and we're actually under an actual attack. Right. right. Which is why the, the, W. Bush administration's assertion of kind of this preemptive right of defense is, is, was so troubling, right? That you could attack someone who was building up a capability that you were worried about, which basically authorizes a right. kind of offensive and the, and, the, and the theory that you described before is sort of a few steps further down that path, it seems to a me. A lot further. Uh, it, yeah, yeah. Well, it would license you know, anything, I think. Right. So, I, so yeah, it is, it is, it is pretty troubling. Um, and my understanding, and I could be wrong, so I, this is, I'm, I'm not a scholar in this area, so you know, I, leave this for yeah, s- should, I leave this for Steve and Bobby. Yeah, but. if topics like this interest people, they should be listening to the National Security Law Podcast. Right. should be listening to the Lawfare uh, Podcast, Lawfare Blog Podcast. Uh, because there are people who have a lot of expertise that you and I don't possess who mm-hmm. talk about this but stuff the, on a regular it, basis. It's definitely and, true. And there are technicality mm-hmm. and sometimes and there are often technicalities with this kind of thing. But right. my understanding is the War Powers Act like gives, you know, the president that time to to engage in those kinds of military hostilities, you know, in de- in defense of, or suppressing an insurrection. But you got to go to Congress eventually. You just can't keep using the military to fight without going to Congress. You have a certain period when you can when you can do that. But it doesn't as far as I know authorize 
an attack so long as the attack is only 30 or 60 days long, right? I mean, it's like, I'm going to launch all of my missiles, right, at, at the Soviet Union or the former Soviet Union. And, and right. like, it'll be over within 24 hours. Therefore, I don't need any author. It, it's ridiculous. So, and actually, it seems to me that what's um, part of what's troubling about this is to, to me is that put it, put, put the, 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 the law frame aside for just a moment Mm -hmm. and, and just think about the basics of, you know, accountability and the, the notion that as, as the leader of the country, you would feel some basic rudimentary accountability to your office, to the people that, that you would want what you do, especially when what you do, like literally rains down death. Right. That you would want that to be, you would want that to have a kind of rigor of reasoning and proof and 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 prudence, right? And so, if there were more that you could do in a in a reasonable amount of time, it's I'm not talking weeks and months, but if there was more that you could do that would demonstrate that what you were doing that you were holding yourself to the highest standards of accountability, right? Mm-hmm. And I saw this horrible tweet from um anne-marie slaughter yeah is that the, yeah um who's you know well i want to get to the international thing in a second but go ahead and f- it, go ahead and finish it, it was thought. just a, it, it was in a way it was just so nihilistic it was like well you know i don't i think this strike is she said is, it was illegal and useless but legitimate yeah and it ended in this weird she, i don't want to say that she said it was legitimate i don't remember right, the exact it, wording I, but yeah right because i don't even think she said anything that flattering about it it was sort of it's illegal under this framework it's illegal under this framework you know but at least it's doing something and i'm like but that's so i don't want to get into the whole i i i in my view atrios has said everything that needs to be said about the very serious foreign policy establishment right which is like it was a jarring thing to read just because it's it's, bomb dropping is always the answer that's the one thing that everybody rallies behind like you know is uh freedom bombs these are instruments of death i agree people need to remember that that we're being that you know, human beings are are being um, incinerated in our name, and I that's think the, very disturbing. I absolutely agree. Would, and, and, but although like, there are times when it's I wanted like, to make the, the under domestic law, I do want to make the point that even if you are hawkish and just think bombs are answers in situations where I think you and I would not think that bombs are answers, it, it seems to me quite dangerous to say that outside clear instances of, instances of defense. The president is authorized to protect national interests, presumably widely defined within his or her discretion, by uh, uh, through military strikes. Yeah, uh, because you know, again, I think that would license uh, an attack on Moscow. And so, basically, there's nothing left to Congress's power to declare war if the president unilaterally can provoke a war. And every time you use military force, it there is this chance of, uh, you know, it's snowballing and becoming something bigger, especially here in Syria where, you know, the Russians before uh, this attack were saying that we will respond by attacking not just, you know, not just shooting down the missiles, but attacking the source of those missiles. I'm not sure. What are you, what are you getting at, if anything, by, by mentioning Moscow as the example, simply because uh, in geopolitical affairs right now, they're, they're, Putin's clearly are at one of our adversaries. Oh, well, so here's that, what I'm because getting. it seems to me it would license launching missiles at Lisbon. Yeah, right. Or or, or at or at Quebec. Well, yes, uh, I, I mentioned Moscow only, or, only because it would be suicide. Like to to say that the president has unilateral unilateral authority to do these things is to give the president the greatest possible power that you can imagine, which is the power to basically uh, you know uh, annihilate the world, <laughs> right? I, it, wh- because of wh- what we imagine the response would be. Yes, right. And we, this is already a problem when it comes to nuclear weapons and, and um, uh, you know, the, the nuclear football and the, and the amount of time you have to respond. And this, right. it's, once you dig into that, it's truly frightening, and I mm-hmm. want to get into it right now. Mm-hmm. But this, right, the, the idea that to protect our interests, we can, uh, the president is licensed to make an offensive attack. So long as it's in the protection of U.S. interests, however defined, they're defining it in a certain way here, but there's nothing to indicate they couldn't define it in some other way in some other memo, right? Right. Um, it seems to me extremely dangerous as a, this just as a functional descriptive observation about the nature of a constitutional democracy. 
Because if you attack a certain adversary, you can expect a response. So it essentially is the power to declare war. In many ways, the power to declare war is a hangover from this time when, when war was just a way of, international, uh, of litigating disputes internationally, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it isn't really like that anymore. I don't know that declaration of war is really as important as it was. But I, I leave that for our conversation eventually with Ona Hathaway and Scott Shapiro about their book, and uh, I want to get back into that. But that, so that said, I, I'm troubled both, I'm, I'm troubled by the, um, by the potential scope of this unilateral power that they're claiming. You know, I mean, just think, people get up in arms about uh, Obama's decision to craft particular enforcement rules uh, in immigration, which would grant childhood arrivals, right, uh, children who, uh, people who had arrived as children, special right. exemptions from prosecution, right? And that's a claim of, you know, and then people decried it as, as an imperial frame, authority grab. Within a frame of, of discretion, actually quite a bit of discretion granted to the executive in statutory directives of various kinds. I mean, so there actually is a legislative matrix that that gives the president discretion, and that discretion was arguably being used. Now, some people argued we that, can it, argue about that it, by yeah. going to something more that was more rule-like and less case-by-case-like, it wasn't a use of that discretion. It was a step beyond that discretion. Right. But, but at least there, you actually did have a legislative framework that was being relied on as the backdrop for the um, you know, DACA or DAP or whatever. There's have you. some, and and, and and I think in this instance, there just isn't that right. There's a there's a it, to the degree that one is relying on Article Two only, right? right? It's you know the person of the president personally reaches a personal conclusion based on evidence satisfactory right. to that person uh, about the needs of the national. Uh, the needs of national security. Well, I mean, in terms of positive law, there's the War Powers Act, which, I mean, in addition to the constitutional power of Congress to declare war, there's the War Powers Act, which says, look, if you're going to do one of these kinds of things, we need to authorize it. There are two authorizations which don't embrace this, and that's it. I mean, I'm sure there are other statutes okay, so, which so are... so I bo- guess to the degree that there is a, a, a pre-existing legislative matrix... It pushes against this. It pushes against doing what he did. Right. Um, and, and I'm not saying this is not peculiar to Trump. I, I, it, and and um, we, especially on the international side, you know, um, Clinton and Kosovo is a big issue. Um, and arguably drone strikes. And, you know, so I don't, I don't want to get into the whole thing. It, it doesn't so much matter. I think it's a problem. It's a big problem in general. Um, right. And um, but, and uh, but at- I'm not unmindful that we are dealing with an unusually uh, a man of unusually poor judgment and morals. Right. Well, and which makes it, it more cute. In it's, terms of, yeah, it's a, right. it is very troubling that this is all happening at the same time that uh, he, he's experiencing pressures from prosecutions bearing down on people like his lawyer. And uh, so so you, you've got people in national venues actually talking about a, quote, wag the dog problem. Yeah. Uh, and this is the kind of thing like Steve and Bobby or, or our colleague Harlan would like just know offhand. Because um, you recall that um, in the middle of the Lewinsky scandal or in the midst of that, um, uh, uh, Bill Clinton. Hey, what? Huh. OK, well, let's see. We're just, this is just going to stay in, Joe. This, I didn't hear what you this said. This will just so stay in. Continue. OK. Um, there, there was a there was a bombing of a certain. um, um facility in Afghanistan that was associated with Al-Qaeda. And I think they had claimed it had to do with vitamin. They had claimed it was a vitamin thing and we claimed it was a training camper. I I forget exactly what the details of it, but there was this sort of thing. And the day after or the day of, um, there were Republican Congress people coming out and saying, this is not a wag the dog situation. So they had kind of worked that to have a unified front about Mm. the fact that this was not related to the scandal. That's my memory of it. Okay. I, I don't recall if there was an actual authorization for it, though. Yeah, and I don't have any recollection of any of this. So. Okay, okay. And, and, and my recollection could be totally off. So, but it's a problem, right? It's a creeping problem um, that law, which is designed for one kind of warfare and one kind of um, set of international disputes and, and allocates power between the two branches according to that vision, well, everything has kind of changed. And gradually, the executive has probably grabbed more and more power to do these like operations, to conduct these operations, which are not full scale warfare, which aren't imagined to be prolonged in, in length. And and so, the if if you uh, if you just ask like, what is the law realistically? Like, how do people think about it? It appears to be that so long as the president engages in one or two operations, and, and rather than a prolonged effort with a prolonged goal, 
it's okay. I mean, other than people like you and me and, um, and Jack Goldsmith on Twitter and like right. everybody that I've read said, yeah, it's clearly illegal. Yeah. Because <laughs> the only, the, I mean, the only practical constraint appears to be, you know, Congress keeps appropriating money to buy things that you can hurl at people. Right. And they keep doing that. Like, so they could stop tomorrow, right? And, they and, could, yeah. could, Congress could decide tomorrow, look, no, we're not going to buy any more of those missiles. Um, and if we don't have them, we can't fire them, right? Uh, and they could a, tomorrow pass yeah. a, a thing that says, you know, no money in the United States can be used to fund the firing of a missile. So even though we have them, we wouldn't be able to use them, right? They, and they don't do that. Instead, what they do is they keep appropriating funds to create stockpiles of arms that are used in this manner from time to time. There is a strong tradition of rallying around this kind of thing, right? It's like, we don't agree on much around here, if anything, but the one thing we do agree on is bombing people to solve problems. I mean, that's, you know, that seems to be our our politics for the last 30 years, probably since the Grenada invasion. And it is troubling. Yeah. Now, on the international side, this appears to be totally unjustified under the UN Charter. Um, which doesn't allow for these kinds of offensive attacks without um, uh, it, it, there's no there's no Security Council authorization because right. of course Russia would be now this is a little bit more complicated because yeah the, the structures have have gotten the structures which made sense uh, and and still might make sense uh, you know we'd need to talk to people much more knowledgeable than I am but my impression of the structures of the UN Security Council and its permanent membership as opposed to its rotating membership. Mm-hmm. Um, in the wake of, of World War II, uh, is that uh, <laughs> uh, the oppositions on the council, uh, you know, China, the United States, Russia, all, all these actors in the UN and, and on the Security Council as a smaller subset, all of these tensions and pressures make it very hard to get agreement when some of the disputes are clients among client states of the members of the council. That's right. Uh, And so that makes it it, a a body that can't quite address some things that do, that that you can understand why people think there does need to be some form of action, uh, not hurling missiles at things. So it's not the kind of action I'm talking about. Well, that's see it's the hurling missiles part without consensus that is that goes to the very basis of the agreement, right? This is the, the you know yeah. the 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 very basis of the United Nations and it's like resort to governance and and economic sanctions as the major tool rather than war. Right. And this is like completely contrary to that in, in and and, al- and although um, although, as I say, I, the structures appear to me to be to to have become um, sort of alarmingly dysfunctionally impotent yeah. uh, in in many respects. E- even so, I uh, maybe, I would rather uh, have Nikki Haley there day in and day out, inveighing against the shameful behavior of other people uh, than us hurling. <laughs> Death missiles of people. As, as horrible as the chemical attacks were, you know. Yeah, uh, we didn't yeah. perpetrate them. Right. Yeah. As horrible as they were. You know, this idea Someone you, else did. That you just want to do something. You know, it, it, something has to be done, right? That's how this starts. And right. then, well, what's the only thing that we can do that will be effective? Like, we're going to smash. Like, it's an impulse to smash. And it's, and it's uh, of course, it's Which, all, of course, we all feel. Like, who, it, how do you not for, feel you that know, way? Some value of the word effective. Right, yeah. so you said we need, we want to do something effective. Right. Well, okay, so let's talk about effectiveness. Well, no, like, yeah. what does that mean, and how, what does that look like, and what are all the different things it could mean, and and what do you? And it almost never means smash. It turns out that smashing causes all kinds of problems. You see Iraq two thousand and three, right? Yeah. So, you know, there there are exceptions uh, against the use of force like this for self defense and perhaps for some other reasons, but. Those reasons don't seem to... No one seems to be arguing that they obtain in this case. Yeah, as far as I can tell, I agree with you. I've been... I've seen news reports in the last few days, and I don't recall seeing anything, uh, even the most ardent supporters of the action, trying to defend it on the ground, such as you've just They try to right? defend it on humanitarian grounds, but humanitarian grounds, absent Security Council authorization, as far as I know, or not, don't grant legality. Now, I don't want to get... I don't want to... You know, I, I'm not an expert on this. But I do know that the the precedent here is the are the Kosovo bombings to stop the genocide in Yugos, in the uh, in Yugoslavia, and 
that's something where you, you, you know, we need to have a show about this. Mm. We really, really do. I mean, I have thoughts, but um, the upshot is that there, everything that I've seen suggests that this is illegal under international law. And therefore, by the way, under United States law, even if there were no other U.S. law, right? Because it is the supreme law of the land. And secondly, um, illegal under domestic law. And, and ineffective. Like, <laughs> everybody that I've seen, even the ones who are supporting it, say, yeah, it's not going to change anything, and it's illegal, but, you know, we have to do something. It's nuts. It's absolutely crazy. And, and the broader point, I, you know, was, I was actually um, re- replying to uh, Scott Shapiro, former guest, a little bit today on this. Like, and he made, I think, the excellent point, which I kind of recast as our whole effort here, while we have, during this, I think, potentially fleeting period when we are powerful, very powerful on the world stage. Like there's no guarantee that lasts forever. You know, lots of stuff can change. Right. The whole, and our effort should not be just to zero sum game this to our advantage to acquire resources and to, uh, and, and to, and to make, uh, to bend right in our image, right? It, it should be to make might less relevant in the future, right? It should be to create a system of law and norms so that military might is not determinative otherwise i don't see how we survive as as weapons get more powerful right um as potential disputes multiply right i just i don't see a future for humanity in a world that doesn't create a strong system of norms like i've told you before like um i would say like if if you can't um uh it needs to be as unlikely that one nation would attack another as it is for north dakota to launch a sneak attack on south dakota (laughs) which is like right but it hasn't always been that way. You know, we did have states of war, right? We, right, quite true. The, the Great and Lakes were militarized between the U.S. and Canada, right? So right. The, uh, that has to, you know, the, the chance of, uh, of attack and the chance of the use of military power, that, that, those probabilities need to go way down if there's going to be a future for the human race in the long run. But I don't disagree. So, I mean, it looks that way to me. Um, it, yes. And it, well... That that sounds right to me, um, and um, it it sounds, it seems right now, as if little to any of the most influential actors in this milieu are are doing anything like what you described. No, it's interesting. You know, we had um, Heather Gerken, the dean of Yale Law School, came and gave the Sibley lecture at our law school. Yeah, um, last two week. days ago. And she gave, it was, it was a great talk about the importance of the rule of law and lawyers and kind of this like paradox, right? That lawyers fight all the time. We fight viciously about things that matter. And yet we, we kind of coalesce around the rule of law. And in fact, it is that particular channeling of that fighting, which kind of preserves peace and liberty, right? Um, And that's the thing. It's, it's not as though disputes will become uh, any less... Well, hopefully the less, because there'll be less kind of tribalism. I think that's a big driver. But to the extent that people are always going to disagree about stuff, the key is to channel those disagreements into a forum where people can be heard and then accept the result without bloodshed. Yeah, and it's not that, the, it's not that there won't be disagreements. Or transgressions. You know? Right. Or disagreements about whether there were transgressions. Right. I mean, of course there would continue to be, but but to to bring the South Dakota North Dakota thing a, a little bit closer to home. I mean, you and I agree about a lot of things, but we disagree about things. Oh, and, oh yes. And one thing we do is we get together and we talk about those things. And it would no more occur to me to charge across the room and start beating on your head than it would occur to you to do that to me. It's just not that. that it's not. This is very reassuring to me because I've. <laughs> <laughs> I've been convinced that I've been close to that point many times talking. Oh, to you, coming to come barreling across the room and beating on my head. Oh, I wouldn't. No, 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 no. You never irritate me. It's, it's only the other way. Listeners. It's this, only the other way. This is just not true. But this um, is why we need video. Cause so we if can disagree see, about it, this very point. Um, yeah. And it, and it, but it, it wouldn't, it just wouldn't occur to us to do that because that ends the future in a way that it's like no agreement is no disagreement is worth that. But surely you've, you've argued with someone on something that matters to you in politics, like maybe even like gay marriage, right? Where, where, you know, as a gay person, this, this would be someone who, who makes an argument that is demeaning of gays would have a, a special kind of personal, emotional impact on you. I'm sure. Right. 
Um, it, it would enrage me, but I think it would enrage you in a different way that is accessible to you that's not necessarily accessible to me emotionally. And how do you... Um, Civility is the wrong word, because I think to the extent someone, you know, th- there are times to be, to, to, to engage in disagreement, which is slightly uncivil, you know, that I, I don't respect your argument, but nonetheless, we don't come to blows, right? There's that, there's that space between and that's civil an, agreement to disagree and then fighting. And there's a, that's an issue on which I might actually, you know, th- there are some things that I, that I probably wouldn't actually want to talk about with someone who who I already knew because of things we'd already talked about sort of deeply disagreed with me about that in a way that I felt what they mm-hmm. were basically arguing is that I'm not a full and, and, and equal person Human. with yeah. dignity, right. uh, equal to their own. Like it, I, I probably just wouldn't participate in that conversation precisely because I don't want to get in a conversation <laughs> where like the probability of me throwing a punch is is any anything other than absolutely negative one million. So right? that's a situation where you say, you and I have nothing to talk about. Let's just vote. Yeah. A- there's a- not, and then you accept it. And, right. It, it, there's not. It, yeah, that's a it's a conversation where we're just going to get each other riled up. And, right. And that's not the that's not helpful to either one of us. But there so, are lines, aren't there? I mean, I saw today. Um, there are what? I, there are lines, though, I think, because on, on, today on. Uh, on Twitter, every now and then someone will post a, a map of the world um, showing uh, criminal statutes applying to um, homosexuality generally, right? And there are cer- certain countries where the death penalty is sure is about. I'm not sure in which ones it's a it's a real possibility, in which ones it's only theoretically there. But there are places in the world, right, where yeah. people are executed for this. And presumably, if people are advocating for that, and there is a realistic possibility of its adoption, this is that might lead to something more like revolution, right? It might lead to a situation where you are more inclined to pick up a rock. Yeah, we were talking about our yes. our lives here. Here, right. And, and the kinds of conversations and debates and whatever. I mean, just to use a different, a slightly different topic. I mean, you know, there are academic debates and academic functions of debates all the time and things people debate things and group sponsor debates about things. And, and that's all great. And it's enormously helpful and informative and... Uh, but, you know, there, I can imagine, you know, if someone said, hey, we want to have this debate about um, whether or not the 13th Amendment should be repealed. Yeah. Right. Because we think yeah. people should be able to sell themselves into slavery if they need the money for their families. And and we just think that's, you know, we think that's a good topic to talk about. We should be able to talk about that. And for me, I'm not saying I would I would advocate anything other than because I haven't thought enough about it to know. But what I do know this. Right. What I wouldn't do is is be on that debating. Give it a stage. platform. Yeah. Right. I wouldn't participate in that. Yeah. I also don't think I'd attend it. Right. Um, I, 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 I might protest. I, it. I, yeah. I'm pretty sure I would try to find a way to protest. This relates to some other stuff that happened this week. And I, so I think it's perfectly appropriate to protest outside of the venue. Right. Say, I think it would be even better to have an, a, a counter programmed event where you talk about uh, the the absolute necessity of the 13th Amendment to the, uh, the, the continued existence of the United States after the right. Civil War, the sense in which without those, uh, um, those three uh, post-Civil War amendments, um, we couldn't have survived as a, as a country. I right. don't think we could have, and therefore I would love to, to explore that thesis, right? But, um, but yeah, I'm just not, I just don't want to talk about right. the notion that people can sell themselves into non-humanity. I but, just don't want to do it. That's because I think you perceive that like the, the fingerprint, the, the moral fingerprint of a society, if I can use an analogy here or, uh, or suggestive language, is in that set of things which are under debate. To bring us back to the hot dog as a sandwich thing, right? Mm, right. Right. There's a world in which people debate that, right? And, and that's part of the character of that society, right? Um, a world where people are like, well, some people think the 13th Amendment is a good idea and some people don't. That's a very different society than one in which people say, of course, the 13th Amendment is, is required. Uh, you know, it, it is a necessary element of any civil society and, right. uh, and, and its repeal would lead to revolution on my part. You know, people yeah. would say that. Or, you know, a world where people aren't willing to say, of course, Brown versus Board of Education is rightly decided. Yeah. Like the, the, the things uh, which a, are a necessity debatable. to the degree yeah. that the original document was in some very real senses a pact with hell mm-hmm. uh, and therefore to be redeemed. Yeah. It needs to affirmatively say certain very specific things. 
Um, <laughs> the 13th Amendment is one of those things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, so I, I, just to bring this back, the, re- the reason that, that I raise this is that the elimination of violence also it, you know, has to go hand in, in glove with a certain zone of debatable topics, right? Mm. Like, it's, it's hard to imagine the elimination of violence when um, execution of people based on race or on sexual orientation or um, where these are still considered debatable topics. Right. In our state, well, we hunt down people of a particular race uh, if they marry people of our race, for example. Like, if we're debating that, that peace will not exist, right? Yeah. Because the basic human dignity based on status seems to be a necessary substantive, like I said, hand in glove principle that goes along with a commitment not to resort to violence or to sabotage. You know, even if you don't think of violence to a human being, you know, you don't blow right. up things and buildings. Uh, those things seem to me to go together. And that's, that's the world, it's progress is so tenuous because there are places in the world, right? Where, where sure, these right substantive yeah. conditions don't obtain. And, and, right. and in a very real sense, we are, we are at war with those places in terms of ideas, right? And avoiding shooting wars and bending that arc of history toward justice everywhere so that we can actually have right. more of the North Dakota, South Dakota situation. And when we say That's not debatable. It's important that it's like we make them not debatable by not, by not debating them and, and, right. and, and by standing up individually for the things that, for the contours that we think are the right, for the right contours. This isn't about centrally deciding something is or isn't up for debate. It's no, not centrally. In the, it's just in the hearts and minds of the people who, who, who believe that th- that these principles are are important for our continued ability to to live and prosper and thrive together. Yeah, like and, that's how you decide what's debatable and what's not debatable. And you don't even think of it as debatable. Like you know, right. uh, like precisely, is, is it um, uh, should should a should a husband have the right to murder his spouse? You know, I speak of it in gendered terms, but like. We that's not something where there's a pro and con people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. It's like, um, and, and so it's that set, it's that set of things where people don't respond to that question by saying, what are you talking about? That reveals the moral contours of a society. And, in, in and an are, I think way, there are yeah. only some of those fingerprints to return to that analogy. Uh, there's only a certain range of those fingerprints to which this elimination of violence is actually, you know, a feasible hope. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. A sober topic. Yeah, I, I, I feel like, you know, I don't have any notes. In, I feel like we could go into more detail about the um, domestic and interna- international law components here, but I would rather do that with a guest. And I just yeah, wanted to kind of raise it we, with you I and think about think these things could, generally. We, it requires to go deeper. We'd require some expertise that I don't, a little bit, I don't but have. I think these are surprisingly accessible. There, there are surprisingly few um, uh, uh, principles cases, yeah, statutes. It would be so much more beneficial to have a guest to help us get our bearings and. I agree, and we can and we can and, project and, into the future. With it. Like, I think there's it's it's a rich area, but I did want to raise it because it, it really bothers me, and that there is this thing everyone agrees like is illegal domestically, internationally, and ineffective. But you know, maybe it was the right thing to do. <laughs> it's like that's nuts. It's absolutely nuts, and and it and it and it sets us on a on uh, it sets us it, on a course which is very dangerous is for the future. It's an exaggeration to say what's so odd to me about it, and maybe maybe this isn't accurate or, or apt, but it, it does seem to me like what what people are saying is you know well, you know it's it is murder, but you know it's something. Like, well, I don't minute. know that they would say it was murder. I would think they would say this is a, this no, but that's is, what I'm saying. Yeah, I know. It's like yeah. if you if you're if you're if you're if you're killing other humans without legal justification, I mean, isn't that murder? I think so. Yeah. So, I mean, this gets to, you know, this has so, always bothered so the, me. So the, right. the commentators are saying, well, you know, I mean, it's murder, but, but boy, at least it's, at least it's something. At least we did something. Yeah. Well, you murdered people. Like we, let we me scratch we, that. We we, we murdered. Yeah, we people. so reserve that term for, for, <laughs> for certain story. You know, this is it goes back to the importance of narrative in law, right? And it's like, it's like it feels like if, to some people it feels like the wrong word because it doesn't fit their murder narrative, right? I understand. And, that. and but I've always thought too this that murder is the right word to refer to what happens when a when a prosecutor knowingly sends an innocent person to death. You know, they withheld 
evidence which clearly exculpate. That's happened, right? I mean, they've tried to, you know, and it's been detected, although maybe there's some other cases where we haven't detected this has happened. Or cases where uh, a, a prosecutor withholds evidence that they know exculpates a, 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 a prisoner who is sent to jail. Like that's, how is that different than kidnapping? Yeah. Right. These are, I think the roles obscure because the narrative isn't like the, right. it's, it's not the crazy guy keeping a girl in his house for 10 years. Right, Instead, right. it's the state keeping the person in prison. And so you know, the conditions are you know, arguably more humane, but, um, uh, but, but the, the effect is the same. You've robbed that person of 10 years, right? You've robbed them of their freedom. This is, Knowingly. About, this is a, help me with the, I'm, I'm blanking on the names and the titles. This is like violence in the word. This is a, yeah. Isn't it? This is a Robert. This Cole. is Robert Cover's violence in the word. Yeah. I don't know if it's exactly the same, but of course. But, he, but he, this is a this is a point in the neighborhood of his of his points about you. Don't, the, the, these things are violent, right? They it's, are violent, it, and, and 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 a huge part of that paper is suggesting that the only reason we can actually accomplish those things with any efficacy is by dividing roles institutionally, right? Referring back to the like the Stanley Milgram experiments and other things, and, right? And finding a way to bring law to bear in an effective way. Admitting that there's there are levels at which this stuff is simply violence, right? And maybe that you know may, maybe a prosecutor becomes disconnected enough from the the effects on an actual human being of what he or she does that they don't consider it that you know they don't consider the injuries that they impose when they. Right. But it, it seems totally immoral to me in a way that that the application of ordinary criminal law would be justified. What seems totally immoral? To uh, knowingly to um, gain a conviction, withholding, oh, right. exculpating evidence. In these, yeah, these very carefully cabined things, knowing them to be in a way fraudulent. Right. I, I don't see any moral. Like just because you occupy an institutional role, if anything, it well, seems to me more, right. it seems to be more reason. heinous. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You, it, it, given the responsibility of that role that you've been given, it, you you have even more reason to be scrupulous about ensuring yeah. that it's being used only. A, only appropriate uh, maybe a listener knows this seems like the kind of thing like like john faff would know but uh, to my knowledge there's I, I don't know of any um murder prosecutions brought against prosecutors in such situ- situations like the the worst or, or uh kidnapping <laughs> like i i don't know of any like uh, the, the yeah, worst would be like stripping uh of the um, and there's some sort of immunity that that is probably invoked for people who hold certain official positions simply because well prosecutor prosecutorial immunity is like absolute yeah much, so, right? because second guessing these judgments would so be, it's usually like an, they're usually ethical punishments yeah. right ethics type hearings but uh, anyway it's, it's another topic we shouldn't we should talk about prosecutorial immunity and qualified immunity and yeah and all yeah. that you know, you know, Will Bode's got this piece against qualified immunity. Yeah, I've, I have not seen it, but I've heard that it. Exists. Yeah, it's great, and yeah, yeah. so something to talk, so much to talk about. Agreed. So many good people. You know, uh, longtime listener, um, Derek Muller. Mm. Um, I'm trying to remember what the. Um, one of these mics is the Mueller mic. Yeah, one of these. I don't know which one. <laughs> yeah, we've lo- that's we, been lost. We should, to the, we should have labeled it the sands of time. We should have labeled it. But but he's written he's written on you know this whole debate over uh, whether law schools should change and have been changing fast enough. He's like writing on this and is saying some really interesting stuff about like how law schools have changed over time. Mm. He's always like a you know thinking. Um, he's never never satisfied to take the conventional wisdom, mm. right? And is always looking a little bit deeper. Right. It's always fun. Got to have Derek back on. Yeah, I know. I know. All right, Joe. I think this is. I think it feels like a show, doesn't it? Yeah, we got to wrap it up. Yeah, so I'm just going to hit stop and... Send it. Ship it. Ship this thing without any... I, I do feel like we should... Yeah, maybe there's one link I should include, but I can't. I don't have time. Like I just got to ship it. All right. Yep. Until next time? Yep. All right, bye. <laughs>